thank you to this week's sponsor of TNG Coaching. TNG Coaching's vision is to teach values through activity and experience, to guide creativity, instill confidence, champion self-worth, and celebrate identity. This journey begins by reflecting on our own performance, by collecting our thoughts and feelings on paper. Both positive and negative, we begin to discern ways to respond to challenges. Opening a personal dialogue and sharing concerns has been proven to create deeper bonds with peers. Journaling how these relationships evolve can help assign roles and build the support structure every team needs to function effectively. When complete, your journal will stand as a lasting reminder of your commitment to your cause and your ambition for personal and professional growth. You can find the Coach's Journal on Amazon through the link or go to png.coach for more information. Welcome to Recess Duty, a podcast for educators to come together to share struggles, but also celebrate successes by sharing stories and ideas in a safe and supportive environment to collaborate with one another. Here's your host, Levi Allison. Hey everyone, this is Recess Duty with your host, Levi Allison, and today we're talking with blogger and PYP practitioner, Sean Walker. We'll be discussing their story and journey in education today. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Levi. I'm happy to be here. 10 o'clock in the morning in Paris, but uh, alive, awake, and uh, excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I know for our European audience, when I've been asked people then, they're always like, can we do a little bit later? Because right now your posts are so, is like 2 a.m. I'm like, yes, yes, obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Sean, for our listeners out there, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am Sean. I am a kindergarten teacher this year here in Paris at the International School of Paris. I've been involved with the IB for 20 or so years. I taught in the United States, in Atlanta, Georgia, in London, and for the past 13 years in Paris. Um, so as well as being in the classroom, I do a lot of work for the IB, so facilitating workshops. Uh, and at the minute, one of their projects is uh, reviewing the open sequence documents. So I'm involved in that project, um, which they are now calling learning progressions. So that's an exciting uh, adventure too. Wow. What an amazing career of so many different hats and so forth. So Sean, with all of these different types of things that you've been doing, what is something that you're really excited about at the moment? Well, big picture, just teaching um, kindergarten. So I've taught grades one to five for the whole of my career. And this is the first opportunity I've had to be in early years. So it's something I actually asked for a few years ago and then uh, just because of different, I guess, other staff members and administration and so on, it, w- it wasn't possible. So I'm just excited about having the chance to teach kindergarten and do uh, implement a lot and put into place a lot of the theory that I've been reading about for, for several years, especially this year. So number one in my mind is play. So I'm sure. just really excited about what play is, what play, is, mm-hmm. um, how to facilitate true play, thinking about my role as the facilitator in that play, but also as well, because, you know, the, the children are obviously in kindergarten, they're five years old. So there's play, but they're also 
opportunities for more structured routines as well. So it's it's interesting and challenging to think about the balance between giving children uninterrupted time for their play, but then also within more structured opportunities for still to play and be playful, but to, you know, I guess be a little more targeted and think about number sense and think about um, the understanding and the connection between letters and sounds and so on. So no matter how much play there is kindergarten curriculum, there are also times where there's going to be a more focused uh, learning. So I guess big picture, I'm interested in um, balancing between those both of those aspects in kindergarten. I think you hit it right on the, the nail on the head when you're talking about, you know, there is a balance of, you know, unstructured play versus structured focus play. And I think there becomes a really like one versus the other of what really is best practice. And when in reality, you know, you both, you need a balance of everything because it can't just be unstructured play for their entire early years. And it also can't be structured lessons here at nine o'clock, here at 10 o'clock, here at 11 o'clock. So how do you go about finding that balance in your own classroom? I think one thing that's, um, that's really helped me, and it's something that I was always, um, I guess, an advocate of, um, is the whole role of inquiry and the role of concepts. And I think when you've got those two things, those two big ideas that really drive the decision-making, um, the connection between those two sort of avenues um, become a lot more seamless. So really thinking about big ideas. So our first unit of inquiry in kindergarten this year was a, was about curiosity and play. It had those, and seeing those words as concepts, not just sort of theories um, or words in from principles in practice, like mm -hmm. the children talked about those words. That was part of the vocabulary. Um, and it was, the central idea was much something along the lines of, you know, through our play, um, we become more curious and we learn about ourselves, others, and the world around us. So it was such a big, big idea, um, but scaffolding the vocabulary in the learning environment, the children naturally became much more articulate in an observant in the things that interested them. They were using the vocabulary of, well, I'm curious about, I wonder this, maybe this, that the whole tentative language of inquiry mm -hmm. and being well, my theory is I've got a theory, I've got a different theory. And that whole mindset, you know, I think we, we often we talk about inquiry as sort of a, a mindset, but it really is. And I think sure. if uh, we model that mindset, the children pick up on it. You know, naturally they're curious, but we can definitely enhance their understanding of what inquiry means, of them being uh, inquirers. So now that that sort of mindset is, is in place, so whatever unit of inquiry we're doing or play, whether that be unstructured and freer play, or it's a more focused engagement and it's uh, some sort of investigation, that mindset and language just becomes embedded in, in everything the children do. So really promoting inquiry and, and having, in terms of curriculum, having big ideas in mind. I think that role of, uh, the role of concepts is paramount, it's really key. And what better way of starting our youngest learners on the right track of giving them those vocabulary skills to be able to talk deeply about these concepts of I wonder, I'm curious, investigation, I have a theory, what is your theory, and building those 
skills and understandings at such a young age. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I guess, linking back to the previous question in terms of what I'm excited about, you know, as, as teachers, we, we have our own set of, uh, we have a, a philosophy, we have a, a set of values and beliefs. And what's really exciting is that, you know, I've, I've always been a believer in the capacity um, and the capabilities of children, no matter what their age. I've always had high expectations. I've always wanted a classroom where children are the ones that are thinking. And I facilitate that thinking as opposed to I'm the one sharing my thinking. And what their job is, is to regurgitate just mm -hmm. my words and my ideas. And what's super exciting is that obviously it's the first time I'm working with five-year-olds, but five-year-olds can and do all of those things that I believe in children. Now, the way to do that is sometimes different. The resources and the language and the scaffolding that might lead to them being successful. Of course, there's, you know, there's different tools in the toolbox. But in terms of big picture, it's exciting to see that it's not just words that I sort of held on to and hope that oh, <laughs> I really hope um, five-year-olds can be independent. I really hope that they're going to be able to think for themselves. They do, and they do more than um, sort of the expectation and expectations and hopes that I have for them. Agreed. And one of the best, and when you're talking about this, I immediately are coming back to my early years experience teaching pre-nursery, nursery, pre-K pre and K, and being told they will do as much as you expect them to do. You mm -hmm. set the bar and you help them reach it wherever that bar may be. Some students will need a little bit more. Some students will need a little bit less, but they all can reach it. And they're going to reach as high as you ask or as you model for them. And yep. it is absolutely empowering to see our youngest learners be so inquisitive and independent in their own learning, for mm -hmm. sure. And, and I think as well, like, listening to you say that in terms of what we expect of these young children um, and what we allow them you know, to do in terms of, and especially in the role of the learning environment. I've never thought so much about the importance of learning environment until this year. Sure, I could, in workshops, I would say, oh, remember, you know, Reggio says the, you know, learning environment, the third teacher. There's, there's certain words that, you know, roll off the tongue. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but I think in practice, it's not until this year that I've been really conscious, much more intentional, and rather than just thinking about learning environment from day one, constantly thinking about the learning env environment, the, the organization, the setup, the resources that may provoke and interest the children. And of course, being really observant to how the children interact with that learning environment. Yeah. So it's not all just coming from me. It's being responsive to their interests, to their wants and to their needs. Yes, and I do think that observation of the students is key into developing those questions and those wonderings to help further that learning. I always find when I was teaching early years, I would have post-it notes and pencils everywhere across the room for those little like observations being like, Ooh, they did this with this. They did that with that. And just making sure that those little nuanced things were recognized. So to help my own planning, because in some way those honoring those wonderings helped develop the plan, whether they realized it as the youngsters as they were. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing I've got a lot more um, intentional about, and actually I had the understanding before, but actually putting it into practice, 
and being more successful with it is the whole idea of documentation. So, you know, all those noticings, I, I think as a teacher, I'm quite observant to, to what children are doing. I listen, I think, quite well. But, if, but before, I think I used to keep all of those ideas in my head. And at the end of the day, they had the, yeah, it seemed as though we're doing like a unit right now all about structures. And I was like, oh, yeah, there was that group that, you know, set up the marble run. And they were really interested in trying to um, create a, a much taller marble run that was more stable, but it kept falling over. You know, some of those big ideas, you know, I can keep in my head. But, of course, as the more you look and the more you listen, and I have 21 children in the class. Well, there's 21 different ideas and set of theories and wanderings going around. And of course, being human, you, you can't possibly keep all of that in your head. So this year, um, I mean, much more intentional and systematic in documentation. And what I've found that is working for me is using Google Slides, mm -hmm. is documenting the planning, seeing the implementation photographs, and then scribing. At the end of every day in kindergarten, we have um, a reflection circle. So it, it's literally, it's probably in reality, it's 10, 12 minutes, and it's just a time for the children to reflect, th to think back on their learning and their play through that day. So part of this unit, for example, um, with structures, we're linking um, shape and space as part of mathematics to uh, the unit of inquiry and looking at the shapes um, that we often see in structures. So it gives us vocabulary to describe uh, structures. So we went out on the street next to the school. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, this was on Friday, sorry. We went out on the street, we observed buildings, and I was writing down things that I had noticed, but that's from my perspective and the things that I pick up on. At the end of the day, the children then reflected on their experience. And so I often ask them, well, what did you notice? What are you wondering now? Is there anything that surprised you? And it's amazing just having that focused time and giving the children an opportunity. And especially with also, obviously, you know, you can do reflection at any time, but sometimes when there's a couple of hours that have passed, ideas have processed, or they've often come back into the classroom and applied what they've seen through their play, through their buildings, through their drawings. And then at the end of the day, they have this opportunity to almost synthesize and process their learning. And so at the end of the day on Friday, um, some of the children were like, oh, I was so surprised there were so many different shapes on these buildings that, I, that they hadn't noticed before. So they were always there, but they realized that just actually taking the time to look and observe, they picked up on things that they didn't know um, were there. And then there were, I guess, more predictable wanderings. Um, we were learning you know, some of the shape names um, and the children were like, but hang on a minute, we've looked at hexagons and octagons, but what do we call a shape with seven sides? And then another child was like, but how can you, is there such a thing as a shape with two sides? And what does that look like? And some of those oh. questions we, we pass back to the children and say, well, what do you think we share? You know, we hear their theories. But also what I've learned to be more successful with as well is to, as opposed to it just staying verbal, is that that, that question about the two-sided two shape, that's going to be, I'm going to be able to relaunch a lesson, a focused time next week and say, ah, so one, one of you had the question about what do we call a two-sided shape and set it as a provocation. It's like, right, off you go and see if you can draw two-sided shape. What does it look like? What do you think it's called? As opposed to just using my knowledge and you know, almost killing the inquiry with a, a simple answer that may, might make sense to me.
so great to hear about, you know, giving students that time to be reflective. You know, you talked about that 10, 12 minutes of giving that practice that practical reflection of giving them time to process and then come back to it. So many times we get busy in our days and we forget to do that. And look at what the learning would have been quote unquote lost if that time hasn't been. And I know for me, you know, I'm a specialist teacher. I teach hundreds of students, 10 minutes out of a 45 minute lesson once every day would just take up so much time, but I do value reflection. So I had to think about how can I be reflective for my first graders and another thing is, is Google form, make it a QR code. They scan the QR code and they just voice to text. So they just voice to text it in there. The Google form writes it for them. They hit submit and that's the reflection. And I can get through dozens and dozens of reflections. I see them and that supports the next lesson, as you said. Yeah. And what's cool, like I saw recently you tweeted about, you tweeted about using the Google form, but then obviously to, to help um, with report writing. Yes. as well. So it's not just reflection for the sake of reflection. You know, you're able to take the child's voice and that becomes part of their report because after all, it's about their learning. Um, for sure. So that was a, a great way to use the technology for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was something we trialed this year. I've used it in the past, not as successfully. I will just be very honest. But this year, I purposely wanted students involved in every step of the learning journey from planning to assessing to reflection to documenting and so they've told me multiple times we want this on the document planner we want this on the learning planner we want this on this we want to do this assessment to show this concept we want to do this concept to show these skills and it's just been absolutely an incredible journey and it has really kept me on my toes but it's been a lot of fun yeah, and talk about, you know, ownership. You know, we throw um, throw away, <laughs> meant to be throw around, throw around those words, um, voice choice and ownership for agency. But in terms of, yeah, those children having ownership over their learning, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. So, Sean, with your continued learning in kindergarten and your curious passion, what are you passionate about right now? And what are you continuing to learn right now? Hmm. Um, I guess um, I think one of the most recent things is this whole idea of working theories and what working theories are. And I guess unpacking that a little bit more. I recently attended a couple of webinars online with uh, Tanya and Anne, um, who are great proponents of, of early years education anyway. But mm -hmm. then this whole idea of, of working theories. So that's something I think I had before, and I often used the word theory with children. I said, oh, that's an interesting theory, and how could we test it, et cetera, et cetera. But I think like anything, I think anytime you give yourself time to really focus on one thing and unpack it and go a little bit deeper in learning, that's something that's, um, that's really exciting for me and that I've realized that, ah, oh, inquiry, I've always, uh, always been a proponent that inquiry is beyond just asking questions. Um, the questioning may be evidenced in lots of different ways. So it could be through wanderings, but often through, you know, the eyes of a child, through like just watching them play. Often it, it, it's not necessarily verbalized, but you see a child building a tower and it falls back down again. If you're only listening, the child often doesn't say, oh, I wonder how to build this back again and for it to be stronger. But you see them through their play and their trial and error. Um, that's what they're doing. 
but I guess I've, I've deepened and broadened my understanding about the role of working theories in terms of uh, conceptual development and inquiry. And so that's something that I'm really keen to continue. And I've been doing a lot of uh, reading um, about that. Oh, wow. What are, real quick, what have you been reading about conceptual theories and such? Uh, um, like what have I used to, um, to learn more? Yeah. So from the webinar, there were a few, um, th there was a Padlet that was set up. So I've uh, had a chance to, to read different people's blogs that link to, to work theories. And then an educator that I hadn't actually come across before was, um, I'm hoping I'm saying the name correctly, uh, Dr. Helen Hedges. Um, she has a blog and she's published articles um, and different literature all about uh, working theories. So I've been reading a lot of her work um, just to deepen my own understanding of, of the theory and then think about, well, how this looks in practice. Really cool. That sounds awesome. We'll have to put those in the show notes below. Sean, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to reach out? So I blog each week. So there's a blog called Sean PYP Paris dot blogspot.com it's interesting because um like for a long time I, i've been encouraged to sort of just write and to share my own thoughts but in writing as opposed to beyond uh, workshops and when i moved to kindergarten i was learning lots of what i was calling gems and i thought oh this is an, an inter interesting experience for me being the first time in kindergarten and i thought i'm learning lots of gems maybe if i um blog about these gems that i'm reading about maybe it'll for other teachers of a similar age. So I then called the blog Ruby Tuesday. So Ruby being a gem, and each Tuesday it forced me to, to blog each week as opposed to just when I got the, the feeling to do it. So some Tuesdays are easier than others, but it was a way <laughs> to, uh, to encourage and uh, give me a timeline for, for these gems. So that's Ruby Tuesday, that's on a blog. And then, as you know, Levi, I often have exchanges with you on Twitter. So I'm on yes. Twitter and I'm uh, my handle is Sean PYP Paris. And Sean, all of those links will be in the show notes below. And as someone who is a content creator as well, <laughs> I <laughs> was you saying, you know, Ruby Tuesdays and making sure it comes out on Tuesdays. You know, I also started a blog, which, you know, learning journeys did not follow up on it as well as I could have. But this podcast, however, I've made a goal of every Wednesday putting out an episode. So it's really made me stay on top of it. And it's really interesting what that little switch in your mind will do to keep you moving forward. Yeah. And also, um, it's something like nothing to do with, with education, but I love, as passionate as I am about education and learning and teaching, I'm also as passionate about music. Like music is my number one interest outside of, uh, of school. And then obviously with Ruby Tuesday being uh, a Rolling Stones song yep. as well, I was, I was also, okay, that brings a little bit of the music um, back into the blogging, which was just nice for me. That's awesome, Sean. Sean, we ask all guests here at the Recess Duty, what do you remember about Recess growing up? It's interesting because I've listened to your podcast uh, before and I knew that uh, this was a feature. And it was interesting <laughs> because... <laughs> So I, 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 this the one question I had time to actually uh, anticipate and think about. And it's funny, as a child, I, like, it, it, when I see the, the kindergarten children play at recess, it's, you know, it's that they have so much fun and they're yeah. so physically active and they're, they're so loud and joyous and celebratory and free. 
And when I think about my recess as at primary school, I don't think I hated it, but it wasn't the highlight of my day at all. I, the one thing that I do remember being the most fun, the most engaging for me, we had, we had a playground and we had a large field. And on the large field, there was a rolling bank. And so the bank, I remember often gravitating towards the bank and either rolling down the bank or running down the bank. And there was something, uh, it's funny because I love roller coasters. I love like thrill rides. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that I made use of, that was the closest I guess I could get to, to high speed and adrenaline. <laughs> so I was often on the rolling bank. And then at secondary school, I was one of the kids, found a tribe, found a group, but we would stand or sit and just chat. It wasn't the running around. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't into sports. Break time wasn't a time that, you know, I'd be football or, yeah, it was interesting. I, and it made me think, wow, it's, it's great that the children, that, and obviously you know, there's all sorts of different children and different um, ways to, to be and play at break time. But I, I, it made me think about the kindergarten class that I've got this year and seeing the children, I, and I literally went through one by one, and I was I was just asking myself, do they look happy? Like, do they enjoy recess? And like, the answer in my mind was a resounding yes. But what they did, what they do enjoy recess was so different. And it made me think, wow, I, I was one of the children that recess, it wasn't my favorite time of the day or the week. Wow. Yeah, and you know, asking this question to every guest, it is very interesting the different perspectives that recess had about what was a highlight, what was something that was important to them. And we've actually had quite a few people mentioned, you know, I liked recess, but it wasn't the most important part of my day. Lunch has also came up quite a bit. Maybe we should start a podcast called Lunch Duty. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> that can be the, the next evolution of, of this. Thank you. Thank you, Sean, for coming to this week's episode of Recess Duty. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. I'm Levi Allison, and I hope you have a great day of learning, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Recess Duty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, please share this podcast with other educators so they can join the fun. And that is the end of our Recess Duty.